I thought, well, what if the people in the nursing homes provided their own entertainment? And so that led me to thinking about this character called Shirley, who does a stand-up comedy routine. Mm. You know, she's in her 80s. She's decided to put herself in a nursing home. She's never done stand-up comedy before, and she decides to do it. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, how far could that go? Today on the Staying Alive and Rich podcast, I have a wonderful guest, Mr. Mark Fletcher from Melbourne. Mark has a illustrious career in publishing and media. You may have heard of him through his work, um, Chasing Rabbits, which took uh, both stage and screen by storm, and his award-winning musical, Joe Starts Again. He's here with me today, and we are going to chat about his new project, which is endearing and charming, called Not Dead Yet. It's a beautiful story about Mark's journey with his late mother. Welcome to Staying Alive and Rich, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. Before we get into Not Dead Yet, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about your career. We were just chatting about your um, your background. Um, look, I started, I, I failed high school, um, <laughs> you know, so that that's always a good start. Failed high school, um, got a job with CSIRO. Yep. Uh, and uh, this was in early days of computers, and that was just wonderful. It, yeah. it, it really gave me a good grounding in technology. I learnt a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two attempts at getting into university, and I did it for six months and decided it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I early on knew that I probably wasn't made to work for other people. Okay. So, um, you know, in my early 20s, I started a software company because I thought, Nothing was going to stop me, you know, indestructible, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was lucky. I, you know, I, I found a groove that worked well, um, you know, worked long hours and and it worked out okay. So that's provided a good income. Still have the company today. Wow. And it's good, solid business, very stable people. Um, and I always saw software as being a creative pursuit. You know, it's like writing in English, but you're writing in other code, in other, another language. You started this in 1981 and the fact that you could see the creativity side of it back then when it was... 1981, no one really knew what software was. I mean, unless you were in the field. Am I correct in saying that? Look, all of the geeks in it, we, yeah. we all knew what it was. Yeah. And we knew what it could do in terms of business beneficial. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that, it, you know, it, it's hard work. It's a grind. And for me, the way through that was to see it as this, as an elegance. There was an elegance to writing good code. Mm-hmm. And that same kind of motivational thought, comes from writing creatively too. This is this is a a, be- a, a beautiful book. Thank you. Um, and uh, I'm going to let you tell me about this book because um, you, you decided, and it, it, it does, did make me think about a lot of things. Um, and I've got my little notes here because I think some of the the, the characters that you've built in this book, book are absolutely beautiful, and it does make you think a little bit about the future. But tell me how this book came about. Um, so it, my mum. Uh, had been a very independent lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was probably at that stage uh, about 84, 85, you know, becoming unwell, had mm-hmm. a fall, and we got to a point where really a nursing home was the only option to give her the sort of care that she needed. I was living in the city, she was out in Berwick, um, and there were limited options as to how she could kind of have a safe life. Yeah, yeah. And she... It's very practical. She decided nursing home is the way to go. Yeah. And so um, she didn't really like that too much. You know, she liked her independence. So we soon settled into a routine where uh, I would go out in the morning and do breakfast for her and just 
kind of make sure that she was having a good start to the day. Yeah. And if yeah. I was away, my daughter, Laura, she would go and do that in my place. Oh, nice. So every day we made sure that happened. My sister was living in Mildura at the time. She relocated to Melbourne to care for mum in the afternoons. And mm-hmm. so she was in the nursing home for a year. And, and between us, uh, myself and a couple of other siblings, we were seeing her every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just being in the nursing home for, say, two or three hours in the morning, you you things happen around you. You encounter the uh, industrial side of nursing homes, I guess, yeah, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't thinking about anything creatively through that time, but I was just very aware of what I was part of. Mm-hmm. And um, not long after mum passed away, uh, I then had the thought of a particular character, the Alexander character who I wrote about, and, you know, thought about that in the context of being in the nursing home every day and what it was like and, and seeing new people come along. Yeah, Because yeah. nursing homes are very much about that. People come and they go and yeah, it's yeah. life, it happens. Yeah, yeah. And I started to think about that and wrote a short, short version of that story and then that evolved into the Alexander story that's there today. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's where I'd stop because mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was happy with that. I liked yeah. the story. I felt it was good. And then someone said, you know, this maybe this is part of something else. Mm. And, um, you know, sure enough, it, it became that. It, it didn't take a lot of work to think about other things, not only that I'd seen but had thought when I was there. Like and, what? What would you have thought about while you were there? Give well, me an example. Uh, so one example is um, once a month on a Saturday afternoon, a local entertainer would come in and I heard the most hideous Elvis impersonation ever. <laughs> Uh, so mum's room was, you know, a couple of uh, corridors away from the community hall or the community room, and there was this Elvis personator. He came in. I reckon he, I know who that impersonator is. It might well, be this old fellow in Brighton I met a couple of weeks ago and had coffee with. <laughs> he put his old cassette player down and started pumping out some tunes. And and um, so I thought, you know, what 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 is entertainment like? Mm. And I thought, well, what if – the people in the nursing homes provided their own entertainment. And so that led me to thinking about this character called Shirley, who Mm. does a stand-up comedy routine. Mm. You know, she's in her 80s. She's decided to put herself in a nursing home. She's never done stand-up comedy before, and she decides to do it. (laughs) And and I thought, well, how far could that go? And so that kind of led to that story. And so different experiences give you um, those, I guess, jumping-off points, if you like, for where stories can go. Mm, mm, Yeah. mm. I would imagine. Uh, look, I've I my um, late grandmother was in a nursing home. Uh, unfortunately, she was overseas, and it was a very different nursing homes to um, the ones that we have here. But I do remember just from going to see her when I was there. Um, uh, you know this this level of I guess integrity. And you mentioned your mum earlier. You know she was a very strong woman, very independent woman, and that comes with a lot of. Um, in integrity and dignity and I I couldn't help but notice when I'd go and visit my grandma um, that part of that was kind of slowly getting chipped away at in the nursing home. Um, how, did, how did you perceive that when you see, because knowing your mother raising you and, you know, being a certain type of woman and now all of a sudden being in a, in a place where, you know what, she's kind of not being able to do the things that she's used to doing and slowly that independence is 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 you know chipping away and it's it's how did you feel about that it's difficult to see yeah. because you know um mum experienced a marriage breakup 
many years ago mm. um, in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she was in the situation where, um, you know, she'd become a lot stronger and like, in some respects tougher. Mm -hmm. And so the mum who entered the nursing home was, she didn't think she would end up there. Mm. She hadn't kind of figured that that's what would happen. And so you're right, you, you go into this situation and you have to let go of certain things. Mm. Um, she was very used to preparing her own food and having her fish done a particular way that she liked, mm, mm. which she couldn't get. Mm. She liked a hot cup of tea and she couldn't get that. Mm. Um, and so it's difficult. Each kind of those for the first few months, each of those, each week for those first few months was situations of, oh, well, I can't do that and I need to recalibrate my thinking to deal with the fact that I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is it... Is it? I mean, my grandma was very much reliant on the nurses in the in the nursing home, so very different situation to the characters in your book, right? Um, but I would imagine if you're a relatively um, fit eighty plus year old and you're capable of doing that, now all of a sudden someone else has to do it for you. That would be a bit of a um, it would be very hard to recalibrate, as you said, emotionally. I'm thinking about it now in my head as I'm talking to you. I like my tea and coffee hot and I like to make my own tea and coffee because I know the way I like it and I can't imagine someone making me tea and coffee and then it's not to the way I like it. Like it would – and then having to accept that, mm. you know, um, that's huge, isn't It's a it? big thing and particularly – you know, at this stage of your life where you know what's coming, you can't avoid the fact yeah. that you're going to die at some point. And um, because nursing homes, by their very nature, are very structured, they're commercial, um, there's, there's this loss of personal, mm. and that's what's really hard for people. Mm. And um, so, you know, that's why we tried as a family to at least give mum those sorts of personal experiences on a regular basis every morning, for example. Mm. And build and, a little routine for her as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she liked um, a good coffee. Mm. Uh, where she was, there really wasn't an easy coffee shop. Mm. And so one morning I took her a Burger King coffee mm -hmm. uh, or Hungry Jack's, I think it was called out there. And I, and I said, look, I'm sorry, but tell me what you think. If you like it, then we can do that. And she loved it. And so there was a win, you know, yeah, and so yeah. even though there are these other things happening, when you have something like that, it's a good situation. Yeah. Um, you know, she liked canned two fruits. So, you know, the right gift to go to her with was a couple of cans of two fruits and some cream. She'd yeah. had a little fridge, she put it in there, and she wouldn't have the dessert at the nursing home. She'd have the yeah. fruit and the cream. And it, again, it's a small thing, but it helped her feel that there was this, still this independence Yeah. Um, that she wasn't seeing some of the others have. Yeah. And you, you say it also when I was reading the press, the, the press that you, you know, it, it made you think about, you know, ageing um, aging people and it made you think about all these people that had these lives prior to coming into the nursing homes, you know, quite busy, active lives, much like what we have right now. And then all of a sudden it's, it's a completely different lifestyle. How did how did that make you feel as an individually? Like when you when you kind of looked at all the people around you and all the and obviously the characters that you've built into this book, um, 
knowing that they've had, you know, 70 or 80 years of a, of a lifetime experiencing different things and now it's come to, you know, to this point in their life? It's difficult because um, you, you know that it's coming yeah. and there's this complexity around, well, do I lean into it? Well, no, I don't want to lean into that because then that will force me to slow down. Mm. You know, I'm I'm in an age where I probably should retire. I'm not retiring, and I don't really want to. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a common question that I get um, because people expect certain things to happen at a certain age, and and um, it's difficult because, again, having seen what life is like in a nursing home setting, even if it's not a bad nursing home, if it's a good nursing mm. home, it's still, you know, it's regimented. It's at a certain pace, and. And I don't want to think about that <laughs> no. at all. Um, and so you probably look in the other direction and say, what can I do to, to have an active mind and have an active physical life? So, you know, every day is like that. Every day is today's going to be a good day and this is what I'm going to achieve today. Mm -hmm. And the future will take care of itself, mm -hmm. I think. I, no, I agree with you. My, actually, we we spoke about this this morning with my husband. I said, my husband said to me, I'm never going to retire. I go, well, you will eventually. He said, no, no, I'm never going to retire. I go, well, we'll have to find stuff for you to do then, you know. And I, and I said, I have to send you off to little excursions here and there to keep your mind and your body active. He's like, yeah, I'm happy to do, to do that. But it is confronting having to think about where we're going to be in 40 years from now and, you know, are we going to be well enough and, you know, um, will we be able to be independent or somewhat independent and 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 live those twilight years as you so affectionately call them um, in your book you know with with some kind of grace and dignity um, and um, I particularly love the characters that you um, that you portrayed in this book and there were a few that kind of um, that really made me think. And I, I, as an author, like, and your mindset, how do you build these characters? I mean, there was one here. I have to, um, the one where Alexander showers for the first time. Yeah. You know, and it's such a simple thing. Like, he's he just wants to have a shower. He doesn't want anyone looking at him. And all of a sudden he's in this place where, you know, they've got to monitor his first shower in case he has a fall or in case he's not capable. Like, how do you even... I mean, obviously, you, you, you've had your experience with mum and you've seen all the people around where mum was going, but how did you come up? That's such an intimate story, to the details of that. How did you formulate that? I knew that Alexander, um, you know, he, he'd made a decision himself to go into a nursing home because he didn't want to be a burden to his son. Mm -hmm. And he very practical person. Mm. Uh, and so he went into this with that very practical mindset but he hadn't thought through uh, some of the regulations that would be in place at the nursing home. And I needed a way for him to uh, have to deal with uh, letting go of some of his dignity mm. and letting go of some of the ways he used to live his life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was aware of some of the protocols that some nursing homes have because when we were looking at where mum might go with her, we were looking at all of the different nursing homes in the area and we were particularly looking at restrictions and rules and things like that. Mm. And so the idea of Alexander um, being required by the nursing home to shower in front of somebody for the first time to demonstrate that he can do that, I 
I felt that that was a good way for him to confront the change in uh, his or, or challenge to his dignity and the change in how he saw himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 that taking away of some independence from somebody at that point who was still quite well and healthy and mm-hmm. certainly able to shower himself, but it, it wasn't enough for him to say, I can shower myself. He had to show them. And, um, you know, when... That you know, the idea came to me, and I started to write it. It's incredibly sad to think. It about. is. It is. It saddened me. You um, know, because it's almost like you you do that with a child. You know, let yeah. me see how you ha- let me see if you can shower properly. You know, yeah. have you washed under your arms? Yeah. Did you brush your teeth? Did you wash your hair properly? And then you're having that same conversation with a man that's lived a full life. Mm. You know, and you know, and he still feels independent, but because of these rules and regulations. You know, he's kind of you're like, okay, I need to see just in case you do have a fall because then, you, you, you know, it's on us. And the thing is, it's in an environment where, you know, it's a business. The mm. staff have limited time. They don't necessarily have time to talk with someone about what this really means and to give – they don't have time to give the person time to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Because they've yeah. got they've, you know, they've got this checkbox. Yeah. They've got yeah. to move on to the next person. Yeah. And so um I I guess that's part of what's difficult. And the Alexander story for me was about those steps of him first of all letting go mm. and then trying to find his way so that he could be a new version of Alexander that mm. was comforting for him and satisfying for him. Mm, mm. You did capture that really, really well. You really did. You Thank really you. did. Um there's a beautiful mix of humour and humanity and resilience in your book. How did you strike a balance between addressing the heavy realities um, and the the lighter and more hopeful moments? Um, well, first of all, I wrote many, probably another 10 or 12 stories that didn't get included. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, part of that was about, you know, what what was I looking to say and were those characters authentic? There's no point in saying, I'm going to write a story, a book about nursing homes, and just go bang, bang, bang. Mm, it's mm. not about that. And so um, I once I decided I was going to write a collection of short stories, I knew that I would write more than I needed, and the key was then choosing the ones that you would include. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure if it's 100% right, but I think I've made a Reasonably good selection of the stories. Oh, you made a cred- incredible good selection of the uh, of stories. Yeah. So, so it, it is hard to balance. I didn't want to attack nursing homes. Yeah. Um, but also I didn't want to make them out to be perfect places. Yeah. So it, it is. It's it's a really hard line. What what I found interesting through the process early on, um, I started engaging with people called beta readers. Okay. What's so a beta, a beta reader? reader is somebody who will read something that's being developed that's not yet ready for editing or anything like that. They'll just give you an opinion. Yeah, yeah. And through a group that I joined, you're able to select the type of beta reader you're looking for. And I was typically going for women sort of 30, 35 plus, mm-hmm. partly because um, I just wasn't confident that guys reading the story would kind of connect with it mm-hmm. empathetically. Yeah. And yeah. so um, some of the early feedback I got was really helpful, 
because I was able to see which stories were were landing really well and which ones people had questions on. Mm -hmm. And that kind of guided my process. Mm -hmm. Um, And the beta readers are all anonymous. You just know their gender and their age. Mm -hmm. Don't even know which country they're in. And so it was And just, you just send them off and they yeah, read and they yeah. give you some feedback that's And they agree to be confidential about it. And How fantastic. That's, that's great. That's a great that's a great tip for anyone publishing a book. I didn't want to give it to any family. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and partly because if you give it to somebody you know, yeah. I think they're gonna read it through the lens of how they see you. Yes. And I didn't want I just wanted somebody I have no connection with just to give me an opinion. Yeah. And the beta readers love it. They love connecting with new writing, uh, providing for They'll even take, you know, two pages of a chapter and give an opinion on that. And it's just fascinating. That's fantastic. And how do you get onto them? Is it like a, a beta reader website? I actually found it through a Facebook group. <laughs> oh, really? Of all things. So the Facebook group has some beta readers in it. And then they connected me with another group that's not part of Facebook, that's more of an international community. Uh-huh. And that's where I connected with them. Okay, interesting. So it was just wonderful. And, you know, uh, some stories that I was working on, I just killed off because of beta reader feedback. It's important because it's really hard to check in with yourself, especially when you're creating the whole thing yourself and Mm. you don't have someone else that, you know, can say, oh, maybe don't put that bit in. Um, And it's it's great because it's unbiased too because you can shoot it out and then you're actually getting, like you said, someone that doesn't know you, doesn't know your life, doesn't Mm. know what is just whether they engage with the story or they don't. I think it's a brilliant idea for for anyone, for young authors or anyone that's already published a book. I think it's a great idea. Very helpful. Before your personal experience, you mentioned your own ignorance regarding nursing homes. Um, how do you hope Not Dead Yet might change the perceptions of others who haven't had close connection to such a setting? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I would hope that people, when they drive past a nursing home, don't just see, you know, a building doesn't look very special. I hope they realise that that these places are um, keepers of wisdom and history and feelings and that they're very personal situations. The challenge is that with privately owned nursing homes that are run for profit, um, uh, we don't get to see the reality of of the situation, I guess, is, is mm. what I would say. And, mm. you know, on the one hand, you want governments to do more and do better. But on the other hand, you actually want, probably want families to do more and do better and be more engaged. I agree. You know, I think families, um, you know, and I say this as somebody who's facilitated their mum getting into a nursing home, mm. but... Um, I think we've got to do better at caring for the older members of our family. Um, and if it is to be in a nursing home, finding a way for it to be a better experience mm. than it is. You know, to, to to be with people who haven't had a family visit for six months. It's heartbreaking. Oh, it's it's just dreadful. It's you heartbreaking. Know? And, you know, I've seen that and... Um, you know, it's a, it's an awful situation. Mm. You know, mm. it's just... And look, there there can be a whole lot of reasons for it. Mm, you know, mm, we don't know their lives or whatever. Yeah. But still, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and we need, all of us need to do better at that. 
What are some of the funny moments you experienced whilst um, mum was in the nursing home? Were there some funny moments where you, where you just like had to like, you couldn't do anything but laugh? Uh, th- there was a guy who would come into her room in his underwear. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> How old was he? He was in his 80s. Oh, bless him. Um, he, just underwear, nothing else. Yeah. He wasn't <laughs> sure why he was doing that. Um, her initial reaction was she didn't need to see that. I don't need to see that. I'm too old. I don't. You know, you know, Get out. Yeah. Um, but then it became a funny thing of, oh, was he visited today? <laughs> and so it was kind of, it became a cheeky thing. Yeah, yeah. And so that's an example of, you know, something for her that was negative yeah. turning into, you know, a positive. A positive, bit of interest, bit of a laugh. That sort of thing was fun. What were the things that she embraced and the things that she hated? Uh, she hated the fact she couldn't get warm water for a cup of tea. That you would know, drive it, me crazy. Yeah, the urn was set on warm. It was never on hot. Is that so they don't burn themselves? Yeah. yeah. And, and look, there's a reason for all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I selfishly, I would say the thing that she loved was the fact that uh, she saw more of family in the nursing home than when she was not in the nursing home, ah. you know, because um, she she lived a very, she'd been in a retirement village for 20 years uh, and it was on a hill. She had a view of the city out in Berwick. It was a beautiful, beautiful situation. Mm. Um, but, you know, I would visit maybe once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So she moved to the nursing home and I'm seeing her every day. And so- was you that know. because she was a bit closer or is it because you felt like, you know what, I want to I want to be here for, for mum right now because, you know, I don't know how much time I have left and, you know, I want to make as many mem- memories and moments? Look, a combination of those things, it was also a factor of uh, I knew I wouldn't want to be there by myself every day. Mm. And so I thought, look, I can do this. All I've got to do is change my schedule, mm. go out there first before I go to the office and so that's what I did. Yeah. And it, it worked out, you know, from that point, I got a lot from it. She got a lot from it. Um, and then other members of the family pitched in too and did various times of the day. Yeah. And and I think we all got to see more of her because of that. And I think she appreciated that. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I, th- th- there were some moments where um, they would do community sing-alongs. And she enjoyed those. She really liked that a lot. Uh, she was a talker. She could talk underwater. And so if there was somebody who was up for a talk, she would enjoy that experience as well. Nice. Because she was close to people who were happy to talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there were certainly plenty of opportunities like that that were terrific. I, I, the thing that I'd say is um, it was an insight to go if you like, behind the curtains and see yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Um, and that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Did you make some new friends there? Uh, they would have loved to. See, they would have loved seeing you come in every day. It would have been something that I think I would imagine it would have been something that everyone in the nursing home would be like, oh, you know, Mark's coming in today. I wonder what he's going to cook mum or what they're going to have for breakfast. <laughs> Look, at, and myself and, and my uh, brothers and sister yeah. as well in the sense that, you know, often you get the comment, well, no one else is getting this many visitors. Mm. Because we had let ourselves in, it was pretty easy to yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. get in there and do it. And, um, you know, the staff, I think, were relieved um, 
not having to worry about, for example, breakfast or morning tea or yeah. afternoon tea yeah. and those sorts of things. Yeah. The fact that four or five of them came to her funeral was oh, just that's, extraordinary. That's beautiful. Isn't so, it? you know, that was kind of a moment of understanding that it's sort of the connections meant something, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to ask you something because I was reading um, part of your book and it's, I don't want to, I don't want to, I know, but I need to find my chapter. All right. <laughs> um, and I don't want to spoil it too much because I really want people to go out and get your book, which you can find on Amazon. Um, it's a letter. And in that letter were three questions. Now, I've just got to find where I've marked it. There's a couple of things. So it's a letter from Arthur mm -hmm. to Kiko, mm -hmm. which I'd imagine was his pen pal back in the day or someone that he had to write a letter to. Um, and she was in Japan. And then when he um, entered the nursing home, his kids had this box. So I'm just going to quickly brief over the kind of give people some context because I really want you to read this. Um, and he has a box with the kids of marked not not don't know what to do with right. And there's a rock, some hair from when he was a child, some l little teeth, um, and then there was a doll from Japan, this wooden doll from Japan and a few letters from Kiko. And he'd only written back twice. And then finally after, what, 74 years, mm. he decided to write back to her. And it's a beautiful, beautiful letter, which I'm not going to go into the letter, but he does um, ask three questions. And so I want to ask you those questions, <laughs> all right, because they're great questions. Um, and I think everyone needs to ask themselves those questions. And I think it's important to ask yourself these questions. So first question is, what are you leaving behind? Um, children and grandchildren. I think they're the most important things. Um, you know, my I have two daughters. Uh, one of my daughters has two children. Mm -hmm. uh, one's three and a half and the other's one and a half. Bless. Um, and uh, my most important personal investment is in the grandchildren, mm -hmm. uh, seeing them two or three times a week, uh, babysitting for them generally half a day to a day a week, and making sure that I have time for that above everything else. Yeah. Um, because I think an investment that you can make in people is more important than anything else. I think that's what stays with people the most. I think, you know what, I think when I was reading these questions, I'm like, what would I leave behind? And I think for me, other than um, precious moments, beautiful moments, it's that that interaction that you have with the people that are nearest and dearest to you. It might not even be nearest, but you might have that small interaction with someone and change their life and have an impact. Have an impact. And I think that's that stays behind more than anything. And you said yourself when mum passed away, she had four of the, 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 nurse, uh, mm -hmm. the nursing home staff. So she's left something beautiful behind for them. Would you have done anything differently knowing what you know now? That's a, a really hard question. Why? Uh, um, so, look, the complexity is... I was married very young. Mm -hmm. um, that marriage ended after 10 years mm -hmm. uh, at a time when I started a relationship with a man. Mm -hmm. And so what should I have known earlier? What wasn't I in touch with earlier? Mm. But then would I have still had children? I mean, there, there are all of those 
complexities around that. Um, and so uh, if, if I would put it this way, I think um, ending relationships is not easy. No. Uh, they don't teach it to you in school. No. Um, and I wish I was better at that. It is a complex question, but it's one, I think it's a reflective one where you go, well, who would I have been? You know, where would I have been? You know? Um, it is good to look back. Yeah. But it's important to not look back so deeply that you get stuck in a well you can't get out of. That's true. You know? Yeah, So you've got to keep a bit of rope up on the surface so you can drag yourself out of there. Of course. <laughs> of course. Or just tug it and say, hey, get, get me, me out of here now. Get me out of here now. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think? You said you're not a religious man, um, but what do you think happens next? Um, I think you stop. Yeah. I don't think um, that there's. I I don't think there's a heaven mm -hmm. because if there is, um, then religion has done some pretty bad things to people because it's this whole um, uh, blackmailing you into certain behaviours just so that you get there. Mm, mm. And I don't think that's a that's healthy yeah. situation. Uh, look, I, I think you just stop. Um, but I think what happens is people reflect and possibly realise some connections that they weren't seeing necessarily on a daily or regular basis. Mm. So they realise pieces of you are in them in different character traits and things like that's what I'd like to think happens mm, mm, so mm. that you live on in some other way rather yeah, than yeah. becoming a tree or, you know, <laughs> being in the clouds or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's next for you now, Mark? Are you going to write another book? Uh, yeah, uh, it'll be another collection of short stories um, and it's about people who lost their way and are trying to find their way back. Okay. Um, and uh, that's that's what I think it's going to be. Uh, I've got a couple of stories that I've done and I'm pretty happy with them, so we'll see where it goes. Oh, that's good. That's exciting stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, an absolute pleasure talking about your new book, Not Dead Yet. Um, and we, you can buy it on Amazon. Yeah. Um, can you buy it on Booktopia? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I thought I saw it on Booktopia. So go out there and get it, folks. It is a great read. Um, it's endearing. It's charming. It's funny. Um, and you fall in love with the characters. You can't help but fall in love with the characters. Um, and I just want to say thank you once again for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.